Welcome back to the Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read a page of the Wise Man's Fear and then talk about it. This is page 827. Raged past reason, I fear she would gladly cripple you even if it means being thrown from the school. I nodded seriously. She will try to disarm you. Be wary of it. Do not grapple. If she catches you with sleeping bear or circling hands, submit quickly. Shout if you must. If you hesitate or try to break away, she will shatter your arm or pull it from your shoulder. I heard her say this to her sister not an hour ago. Suddenly, Tempe stepped away from me and gestured deferential respect. I felt a tapping at my arm and turned to see Magwin's wrinkled face. Come, she said with quiet authority. It is time. I fell at a step behind her. As we walked, everyone in the crowd gestured some manner of respect toward her. Magwin led me to the beginning of the path. There was a block of gray stone, slightly taller than my knee and identical to the others at each corner of the path. The old woman gestured for me to climb up onto the stone. I looked out over the group of Adam and had an unprecedented moment of stage fright. Bending a bit, I spoke softly to Magwin. Is it appropriate for me to raise my voice when reciting this? I asked her nervously. I do not mean to be offensive, but if I do not, those in the back will not be able to hear. Magwin smiled at me for the first time. Her wrinkled face suddenly sweet. She patted my hand. No one will be offended at the loud voice here, she said, gesturing considerate moderation. Give. I unbuckled Say Sarah and handed it over. Then Magwin t- urged me onto the stone. I recited the Atos while Magwin watched. Though I was confident of my memory, it was still nerve-wracking. I wondered what would happen if I skipped an owner or misplaced a name. It took the better part of an hour before I was done, and the, the audience of Adam listening with an almost eerie quiet. When I finished, Magwin offered her hand, helping me down from the stone as if I were a lady descending from a carriage. Then she gestured up the hill. I wiped the sweat from my hand and gripped the wooden hilt of my dueling sword as I started up the path. Carceret's reds were strapped tightly across her long arms and broad shoulders. The leather straps she used were wider and thicker than Tempe's. They looked to be a brighter red too, and I wonder if she had dyed them especially for today. As I came closer, I saw she had the fading remains of a black eye. Once she saw I was watching, Carceret tossed her wooden sword away in a slow, deliberate motion. She gestured disdain broadly enough so they could see in the halfpenny seats at the back of the crowd. That's the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. The very first thing Tempe tells him on this page is she will try to disarm you, be wary of it, and Quoth falls for it. I mean, it's on the next page, but the very first thing she does is a trick to try to get him to put his sword away, and he does. And in so doing, he does not heed Tempe's first warning. But I think he's right to do it. Well, there's a whole conversation about it later on, so maybe let's not litigate it just yet. But Tempe himself is furious that Quoth has has done this. Do you think that Quoth knows that he's giving in to it and has decided that that is like what he wants to do. Like, I think if he was, he would tell us and there's no indication in the text of the next page that, that that's what he's doing. That's reasonable. I'm inclined to think that Carceret has correctly gambled that his barbarian ways will, will cause him to throw away his sword. If she throws away her sword, because it seems that an Adam would keep their sword, no matter what, like an Adam would not have, have given up this like for some, idea of honor like this isn't something them would bring to the table i think that that's a thing we should litigate when it comes up all right all right so be it we discussed earlier like in our talking about the 8m culture we've kind of said like well what do you do if you have to address a large crowd of people and that question is answered for us here like it's sometimes it's appropriate to raise your voice like 
if you have to address a large crowd of people. It is of the Lothani. Maybe that comes into play, maybe it doesn't, but it's certainly, the Adem are not so uptight about their social rules uh, that they want to, like, inconvenience themselves for no reason. Yeah, but Magwin is pleased that he asked. For the first time, he's shown, like, some, <laughs> maybe this is an overly critical read, but for the first time to Magwin's eyes, he's shown, like, an interest and a curiosity about upholding their ways. It might not be that she sees it as him being interested, but it it she sees it as him actually like holding on to that information that he's been interested in. Like he's actually he's not just hearing it and being interested, he's remembering it. And she hasn't really had the opportunity to see him do that and this is it. Yeah, maybe she was like in her professional mode prior and now she's in her grandmotherly mode. Do we think that Carceret had her her clothes freshly dyed for her big day? Honestly, yeah. kind of, yeah. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> She's definitely a showboater. Or whatever the Adam equivalent of a showboater is. And like this is her opportunity to like sh- prove to the entire school that it doesn't matter what Shaheen thinks, this guy does not belong here. I'm gonna prove it. Carceret respects Shaheen. I don't think it's a it doesn't matter what Shaheen thinks, but I do think it's a he doesn't belong here thing. Does she though? Yeah, I don't know if she does. I, f- I get the feeling that everybody respects Shaheen to an extent. Like she might not like respect her to the to the greater extent that a lot of them do, but she certainly I think she would respect her as a leader. Yeah, I think she respects her the way that I respected teachers that I hated in school, which is that I did the bare minimum I needed to to not make them send me to the principal's office. I don't get the feeling that she dislikes Shaheen. Well, we we don't ever get that window. She certainly obeys Shaheen, but considering how vehemently she hates Quoth, her political differences are pretty stark from Shaheen's. Yeah, like, I think if she respected Shaheen as a leader, then she wouldn't be willing to risk uh, leaving the school to cripple Quoth. Well, she'll make it look like an accident, right? She's smart enough to do yeah, it. Yeah, she'll she'll make it look. Yeah, she'll have plausible deniability. Also, Jordana, you missed this when Nick and I were recording, but uh, in case you have forgotten, one of the reasons Carceret's so pissed off is because Quoth is using the sword that her mother used. Yes, I did. Uh, we we briefly spoke about that before it was revealed in the text. Gotcha, gotcha. Like, I get why Shaheen has feelings, of, or not, sorry, I get why Carceret has feelings about that. I would also have feelings about that if I didn't mm. like somebody and they got something that, like, belonged to, like, like that felt like a family heirloom, sort of. Yeah, totally. Like, that's that's one of the ways that you can make a villain compelling is you give them a motivation or a rationale for what they're doing that, like, makes sense. It doesn't have to be, like, good or, like, nice or, like, you know, correct, but it's, like understandable you understand why they would be doing what they're doing it certainly makes carceret feel like a more like well-rounded character and a more realistic character yeah like she's pissed i get it we know that carceret and penthe came to blows over the question of of quoth and we've seen we didn't see that fight but we've seen since that both penthe and now carceret have sustained bruises from it that have lasted for like days afterwards like that fight was Several days ago. There's proof that it happened. Well, and then it was bad enough to leave bruises that last for days. Like, they, this wasn't just like a scuffle. Have you ever had a bruise that doesn't last more than like two yes. days? Oh, okay. All of my bruises last more than two days. I, I would say that most of mine don't. <laughs> oh, well, when you're when you're a child, your bruises heal quickly. When you are a frail 30-something, 
who struggles to stand up without using the armrests to push themselves up. Your bruises tend to last a bit longer. Hey, I am not a, I'm not frail, okay? I get most of my bruises at the gym from accidentally walking into the weights. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like, I think that we do have to acknowledge that people's bodies are different and that people, even if they are the same age, bruise at different rates. But I also think it is a useful piece of storytelling to tell us how serious this fight was. Yes, reasonable. And we also know how much weight the Adam place on these bruises, the stories that they tell and what it says about them. It's not just like something that people will look the other way about or assume the best. Everyone probably knows the reason for this and, and everyone's talking about if it. If they were just having like a friendly bout, they wouldn't leave bruises, right? Like if, if you were just like sparring with somebody, you would have the self-control not to leave a bruise. So the bruises, if nothing else, tell us that when they had this fight, they were fighting to try and hurt each other. The bruises of Madison County. Quoth has stage fright unprecedented, and I think it's because he's so far out of his element. He's reciting lines that are not lines, that don't have a story. He's not even sure if he should be projecting. As we learned on the previous pages, like, he did not have any preparation for this event at all. Like, he knew, even though he didn't know what the test of the sword tree was going to be, he knew that he would have to pass some kind of test, you know, to be admitted into the school. But, but Vasha didn't even tell him that this test was a thing at all. So he's had no, this is like every academic's worst nightmare. There's a test coming. There's a pop quiz today on which your life may well depend. Good luck. I mean, it's, I, it's like a pop quiz, but it's also like, I, I mean, it's not like they were like, you have to recite the story of the sword without knowing the story. Like at least they spent the time for him to get to know the story. Yeah. But then he has to like do mortal combat. <laughs> I maintain that this is a formality for the most part and that it's only Carceret who heightens it and adds the stakes. But I maintain that like in a normal situation, these would be friendly bouts for the most part. Like obviously you're trying to prove your, your worth and like pass the stone. But I maintain that this would be largely a formality for Quoth and that nobody would expect him to pass the first fight. And I know you wrongly think the other way, but we just, so we don't have to talk about that again. But Well, we do because you, you are putting words in my mouth. Yeah. I do think that... It's not unheard of for people to pass the first stone in this test, but I agree with you that it's not a, like a fight to kill. It is like a sparring fight where you're like you're trying to like demonstrate your skills. You're trying to get your opponent to submit, but you're not trying to maim or kill somebody. Yeah, I think that the the sword tree test is more important than this one. This is basically a ceremony. Is there anything else we want to cover on this one? Uh, is this anything? Um, Mr. Magorium's Masturbatorium. I think we've we've made reference to Mr. Magorium's Masturbatorium before, but not in a long time. Huh. Listeners, write in and tell us what episode we explored Mr. Magorium's Masturbatorium, because it's new to me. Is it in a, is it in a male? We can take a look in the male and see. It, it could be in a male, it could be in a female, it could be in a non-binary <laughs> person. We don't want to judge. What I'm asking is what brought up the this arrangement of words? Well, you know, I was just thinking about the various things that I think about in my private moments. And uh, I was reminded of the Terry Gilliam film, Mr. Magorium's Wonder Emporium and the cadence of it sort of fit with masturbatorium, which is of course the state that you enter when your significant other and housemates all leave the house and you're left alone to your own devices. So, 
just thought it was, you know, had a bit of a pleasant. I mean, it certainly sounds like something you've talked about before, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. It's it's a room that no home should be without, certainly. That's right, yeah. And and one should uh, enter the masturbatorium with, with, with gusto. <laughs> <laughs> we do actually have letters today, although I may have spoiled the mood by uh, by ev- invoking the <laughs> masturbatorium. Perhaps you can fix it by reading a letter. Okay, a uh, tough act to follow. This letter is uh, from Fion on the Discord, who writes, Hello, pagers. On episode 778, Jeremy mentioned a martial art that is said to be invented by a woman, but couldn't remember which one it was. This information I can provide, for I am practicing it. It's called Wing Chun. Though the definitive origins of this style are unknown, it's told that it was created by a Buddhist nun out of the Shaolin Kung Fu. She developed the style to be applicable even for people with limited physical strength. Keep the pages coming. Greetings from Germany, signed Fion. Fion, thank you for relieving the pressure of my brain fart several weeks after we recorded that episode. I knew that I knew what it was called. Wing Chun it is. Thank you. Jeremy, if you've got some pressure building up, may I refer you to the Masturbatorium? You sure can. And listeners, you can find me there on tomorrow's page. Uh, The win. I don't think think anyone should be finding you there. (laughs) 